The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, and beginning at verse 18, and you'll find it on page 1039 in the Pew Bible. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me And my words, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's great to be uh, with you this morning, uh, to be sharing with you. Uh, Who am I? Uh, But would be a good place to start, I think. Um, My name's Matt. I'm currently, uh, no, not currently, I am married to Emma. Uh, We have have two grown-up children who are um, 22 and 28. Our 28-year-olds recently had a baby, so I'm also a grandparent. Um, I know you're all thinking you don't look old enough. Thank you. Uh, so um, my, my granddaughter is six months old, and she's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, uh, and, we, so, and they live in uh, northwest England. Uh, what else? I have an elderly dog um, who's 14, 14-year-old lab, and we live in Twickenham. Um, and we live in Twickenham because my wife is currently the Bishop of Kensington. So I'm, I'm married to the Bishop of Kensington uh, and all the joys that that brings. Um, uh, I've been ordained since uh, 2000. Um, I worked as a vicar for t- about 20 years uh, and then began to work for CPAS about three years ago, uh, two years ago, uh, just over two years ago. Um, who is CPAS? And this is where the slides come in, thank you. Um, CPAS have been around since 1836. Um, our purpose in life is to make mission possible. Um, 
we have been doing that for uh, almost 200 years now, and there are three ways that we do that currently. The first is with Venture and Falcons holidays, and I know that this church has had people on those Ventures and Falcon holidays in the past. Um, so over a summer, we have between three and three and a half thousand, we're back up to almost to pre-pandemic numbers now, young people, uh, about 3,000 young people go on holiday to find out about how they might explore Jesus more. Uh, and those holidays run across the summer. Some of them run at other points as well. Um, and there's a quote on there from one of the people who was in ventures. Uh, we also run school ventures. It's a new thing we're running, which helps partner church schools and churches together and just helps um, year four primary schools. So we usually work with year four running week long, uh, weekend-long residentials. Uh, and that helps with the SIAM stuff. If you're a teacher, you'll know what that means in the church school. Helps with the RE curriculum and also helps to create relationship between church and school. And we're really excited about those. It's been going for about a year. And the second area of our work after, after Ventures and Falcons is patronage. Um, we are involved in the appointment of clergy to churches who, to whom we are patron. Um, if you want to know what that means, ask me afterwards. Uh, but we're, we get involved. You are one of our patronage churches, and so is St. Stephen's where I worship. Uh, so we've just been involved. I wasn't. We've just been involved in the appointment of uh, the new vicar of St. Stephen's there. And we support around 690 churches across England in doing that. And then the third area of our work is leadership development, and that's where I spend most of my time. So we train lay and ordained leaders across the UK and Ireland to help them to make mission possible. And what we are praying for and working for is that every church will be a pathway to faith. Every leader would be a catalyst for evangelism, every church leader. Every uh, person uh, in the congregation would be courageous in sharing their faith and every child the chance to explore Jesus. That's what we're about. And we do that. Um, so thank you. If you've supported us over year, the years, thank you so much for that. I know you as a church, you may not know this, have supported us financially um, and also in prayer. And also you lend us Eddie every now and again. He's one of our trustees. Uh, so um, d d thank you so much for all that you have done. And I hope and pray you will continue to do with us. If you want to know more, do look at our website, talk to me afterwards. I've got leaflets and all kinds of stuff I can give you if that's the kind of thing you're interested in. Let's pray, and then we'll get into a Luke, Luke's gospel. Lord God, we thank you for your word and for the way that it speaks to our hearts through the presence of your spirit in us. And we ask now that you would open our hearts to receive your word for us this morning. That we may be those who seek to glorify your name. For we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus, uh, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? If we were to go out into the street this morning, I've got some slides that go with this, so we'll catch, do, do go on uh, to the next one. Um, if we were to go out into the street this morning and stop people and ask them, who do you think Jesus is? What do you think they would say? How would they respond? 
A couple of years ago, Talking Jesus re- released a results of a survey where they asked the question, they asked that question and a load of others as well. They surveyed 4,000 adults across the UK and it was a proper survey uh, conducted by um, Savannah Comrez. And if you want to know more, uh, go and um, uh, Google Talking Jesus or whichever search engine you happen to use and you can have the whole report if you're inter- interested in that kind of thing. They found that, you may or may not be able to read that, that top line there, 48% of people in this country, adults in this country, say that they're Christians, which may come as a bit of a surprise to you. Um, That's nearly one in two, but it's roughly what the census uh, says as well. In total, uh, 6% of them said that they were practicing Christians. It's a bit closer to what I suspect we would have expected Around 6% of the adult population say that they're practicing Christians. And they were asked to describe Jesus. 20% of people, one in five people, said Jesus was the Son of God in human form who lived in the first century. One in five adults think that. One in four adults said he was a normal human being. One in three people agreed with the crowds in the reading we've just heard uh, that said Jesus was a prophet or a spiritual leader. That's a lot of people who think Jesus is quite special, either the one in three or the one in five. And just over half, 54%, said that he was a real human being. So 54% of people believe that Jesus really existed And a total of one in five people say he's God in human form, but only 6% are practicing Christians. Isn't that an interesting contrast? Um, They were asked how they would describe Jesus. Any guesses, before I show you, any guesses as to how they think they would describe Jesus? What words might they have used to describe Jesus? Just call some out. Good? Loving, sorry? Sandals, sandals, sorry. Good, loving sandals. Holy. Holy. Religious leader. leader. Christ. Christ. Sorry. Personal saviour. How about the people on the street? How might they have... What do you think other people think who aren't Christians? Sorry? Wise. Wise. Prophet, yep. Okay, let me tell you. Um, The words loving, spiritual, peaceful, moral, powerful, wise, and leader all came quite high. You probably can't read that from where you're sitting, but you'll have to trust me that those are the big ones on there. Um, People think Jesus is loving. People think Jesus is spiritual. They think he's peaceful, moral, powerful, wise, and a leader. 3%, only 3% of people said he was boring. Only 5% of people say that Jesus is judgmental. Only 5% said he was irrelevant. These are not church people. These are adults across the UK. Isn't that really encouraging? How positively people see the person of Jesus. These stats should really encourage us to speak more and about Jesus to other people, to ask people what they think and to tell stories about him because people are interested and are generally positive about who he is. Our issue with sharing faith is not Jesus. Jesus is not the issue. 
Jesus is not unpalatable or unpopular or uninteresting to most people. Our issue is one of courage to speak, of being ready to speak when the opportunities arise and of creating those opportunities by the way that we live, by our witness. Showing people that following Jesus makes a difference to the way that we live. People need to see and to hear about the difference Jesus makes in the lives of those who call him Lord, and that gives us opportunities to speak. And in this same survey, one in three people said that they would be interested in having a conversation about Jesus, and one, I think it's, I think it's nearly 50% of people say they know a practicing Christian. 50% of adults know a practicing Christian. So how can we, um, uh, it's about how we witness and then how we speak out of that witness. Who do you say that I am is not just about what we think or believe, as we shall see in a moment, it's about what we do about that. So let's get back to this passage. Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter replies on their behalf, God's Messiah. In the Greek that uh, Luke originally wrote in, the words are actually the Christ of God. What does that mean? That means that God, he, Jesus is the anointed, the chosen one of God, anointed by God to be the Messiah, the one who saves. And it's really difficult to describe the weight and importance of the statement Peter makes, you are God's Messiah, at the time that he made it. Because Peter and the disciples are Jews living in occupied Palestine. They're oppressed by the Romans. The Jewish people have been waiting for the Messiah to come for a thousand years. A thousand years. That's going back to 10, 6, 10, what year are we now? 2023. Uh, 1023 from now. They've been waiting that long for the Messiah. And Peter says, you are God's Messiah. They've been waiting for a king to restore them as David uh, did back a thousand years previously. Um, Through might and battle power, I suspect, is how they're expecting it. They want the longed-for Messiah to make Israel great again. This is the slide with the... um, There we go. Uh, To make Israel great again. That's what they want. That's what they're after. That's what they're expecting the Messiah to do and bring in the kingdom of God through them. And God's prophets prophets had promised this Messiah would come for hundreds and hundreds of years. The anointed one that was going to bring that to pass. Imagine that, hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting, and Peter says, you are God's Messiah. I've no doubt that after seeing all the miracles they've seen, and read back in Luke if you want to see those, uh, that Jesus has been doing and uh, uh, watching Jesus in prayer, being around him, they had a lot of evidence that Jesus was the one, the Messiah. They knew that Jesus was more than a prophet. Prophets talk about the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus brought it. Jesus demonstrated it. Jesus did the miracles. Jesus showed it through his healings. I imagine after he'd said, you are God's Messiah, there would have been a bit of a pause, a wait, to see what Jesus would next say. Would he deny it? Would he assent to it? Would he 
um, nod at them knowingly and then um, explain his plans to overthrow the Romans and make Israel great again. At this high point of the gospel, when he has been recognized for who he is, the pennies finally dropped. You'd imagine that he'd be like, let's tell everyone about this. Let's speak about it. But he doesn't. He strictly warns them not to tell anyone. Not yet. Why? Because he needs to be the Christ of God. He needs to be God's Messiah and not the Christ of the crowds. He needs to be God's Messiah and not the Messiah the people want him to be. He needs to be the Messiah God wants him to be and has called him to be. And the Christ of God is anointed to suffer, to be killed, to be raised to life as he tells them. That's the plan. That's God's plan. Jesus is anointed of God to die and rise again so we can be reconciled to God and become bearers of the kingdom of God in the world. And that's exactly what happens. Praise God for his love and his goodness to us. Praise our Lord Jesus Christ for his obedience to the Father and his immense love for us. At the heart of the good news of Jesus, surrounded by all his teaching and, uh, and the miracles and good works, is his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection. That was what Jesus was anointed by God for, so that we could have relationship with God now and for eternity. So Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? Do we really believe that uh, Jesus is the Messiah of God or do we sometimes slip into thinking that he's maybe our pet Christ, the Christ of us, if you like, the Messiah of us? Who do you say Jesus is? But Jesus doesn't stop here in Luke 9. He continues to teach about the consequences of believing, the kind of follow-on of believing that he is the Christ of God. And it's interesting because our answer to that question, who do you say Jesus is, has a kind of consequence to it. You remember back at the beginning I said that 48% of people said they were Christians and only 6% said they were practicing Christians. I don't think you can be a Christian and not be a practicing Christian. It is not possible. It's, it's possi- it, it is possible to believe Jesus is the Christ of God and continue to live as if he was not. It's possible to believe that Jesus is who he says he was, that he was the Son of God, as that survey tells us, and not do anything about it, not change anything. But Jesus doesn't allow that. Let's read on in Luke. Look what Jesus says about those who follow him in verse 23. If anyone would come after me, notice anyone, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will save it. What does Jesus mean by that? It's a really vivid image. If I'd been in my home church and not had to travel here on the tube... I would have got a really big bit of wood for this bit. So you'll have to use your imaginations. Jesus is using what would have been, sadly, a very common and horrific image for those around him, that of crucifixion. And he's using that image as a metaphor 
to describe what it means to follow him. He isn't saying we're all going to be crucified. And the Romans, you probably know, used to use crucifixion as a very public example of what happens if you rebelled against him. And you'd be stripped of everything and made to carry the beam of your cross to your place of execution, where you would be executed and die. And once you set off walking with that crossbeam, carrying that crossbeam, your fate was sealed. Imagine if you picked up a crossbeam to carry it. They're quite big. What else could you carry? Absolutely nothing. And there's no point anyway because you can't take it with you. This image of taking up your cross and following is about putting everything else down and following our Lord Jesus. Putting everything second to Jesus. It's about rejecting and turning, turning away from everything that is not of God and following Christ first. It's about um, giving up living for ourselves and instead living for Jesus. It's total surrender, as we sang earlier. It doesn't mean we have nothing because God is good and God gives us what we need. It doesn't mean we don't receive good things. God loves to give us good things. It doesn't mean uh, we have to turn our backs on our families, although for some people it does. I have a friend who it meant exactly that when she became a Christian. But it does mean recognizing that everything that we have and enjoy comes from God. It means relying on God for everything. It means trusting Jesus for everything. It means making him Lord of everything, our relationships, our decisions, our finances. It means seeking to live like him. It means seeking first the kingdom of God and trusting that God will give us everything else we need. Pick up your cross and follow me means putting everything else down and putting him first. And we choose to do that because we recognize that Jesus is God's Messiah. And he loves us and he sacrificed himself for us and he calls us to die for ourselves. Die to ourselves so that we can follow him, so that he can raise us to new life in him. And that new life is eternal life. When we lay down our lives we gain eternal life and begin that journey into eternal life in the presence of God and in the kingdom of God. Um, I've moved around a lot in my life. I, I reckon we worked out the other day I've lived in 24 different houses in my 54 different years of life. Um, that's not because I've got a record and I'm being chased. It's just the way life has worked. But I've spent quite a bit of time in Bristol in uh, various different places. Um, I think I've had six different houses in Bristol, if I remember rightly. Uh, but Bristol, in Bristol, there are two great Christian heroes, uh, Mary and George Muller. And those of you who use Lectio 365 will have heard this story this week. They moved to Bristol in 1832 and they founded orphanages to care for a growing number of children that were being left by the cholera epidemic. They did it because the Mullers knew God had called them to act in this way because they'd put everything down and given everything to God. They prayed and God said to them, you need to open orphanages and they had no money. So they prayed and God gave them 10,000 oh, £10, came in, which is a lot of money in 1840-something. By 1870, George and Mary Muller were caring for 2,000 
2,000 children in orphanages in Bristol. 2,000 children. The buildings are still there today, although they've been made into very nice apartments. Um, and their, their legacy of Christ following, their legacy of Christ following and their kingdom building continues in Bristol and around the world. Later in his life, uh, George Muller was asked, what is your secret of service to God? And he replied with this quote, there was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Muller, his opinion, his preferences, his tastes, and his will. Died to the world, its approval and censure, died to approval or blame even of my brethren and my, and my friends and since then I have studied to show myself approved only by God a servant of God has but one master in other words deny yourself take up your cross and follow me isn't that amazing isn't that an amazing quote that is what we are called to if we answer the question who do you say I am? You are God's Messiah. Who do you say I am? A big question that has massive consequences. Because if you believe as I do that Jesus was the Son of God and that he, was, he died for us and was raised from the dead, then we have to believe everything else Jesus said and act on that. Why would you believe that and not believe everything he said as well? Take up your cross and follow him. Trust him with your life as Lord and master and friend. Who do you say I am? You are God's Messiah. What does that mean for us in our daily lives? It might mean that we need to stop doing something that we're doing that is not of God. You will know um, what that is if there is something because the Holy Spirit will just have nudged you in the ribs. If that's you, repent, turn away from it and seek the forgiveness and grace and release of God. It might mean that we need to begin to do something. And that may well be to tell other people about our faith in Jesus. It might be to share stories from the Bible, the stories, the difference that Jesus makes as a follower. It may well be to pray that God will give you the money so that you can start that charity that you want to do in order to bring the kingdom of God in. Just like the mullahs. It may well be an encouragement to work on our prayer lives. It might be to take, to take an action to seek the kingdom of God more fully. We cannot say you are God's Messiah and mean it without doing something about it. Who do you say that I am? Let's pray together. And just give you a moment to allow God's spirit to speak to you is there something that God is calling you to this morning calling you to lay down calling you to pick up inspiring you to take the next step and if you'd like to echo this prayer in your hearts then feel free to do so God, if I am honest, I have many masters. I'm a long way to dying. I'm a long way from dying fully to my opinions, my preferences, my tastes, and my will. 
I choose to yield myself and let you take the lead again today. Teach me to care less about what others think and fix my eyes firmly on you. To take up my cross and follow you. Amen.